You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a WealthCap Holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Hey, everybody. Uh, Devin here, your host for today's Portfolio Builders podcast, and I am really excited to have our guest, Peter Skaggs, on with us today. We are going to be doing a deep dive on all things financing. There are a lot of different kinds of loans out there that investors can use. And I'm super excited to get to chat with Peter because Peter is not just a loan officer, but also an active investor himself. So he really understands what it's like from both sides, being a lender and an investor. So Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Super excited to have you on. Why don't we start with just telling us a little bit about you, your background, and how you got to be the owner of Innovative Mortgage Alliance. Uh, well, thank you, Devin. I, I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's my pleasure. Um, so started Innovative Mortgage Alliance, uh, let's see, 12 years ago this past May. So I, we've, been, we've been doing uh, loans for quite a while now. I, before that, was working for a broker banker, uh, one of the larger ones in the country, uh, for about four or five years. And then they were a product of the 2008 uh, meltdown. And uh, I went out and tried uh, my hand for about three months outside of the industry. And I'm just passionate about real estate. I love real estate. Um, and I, I, I sounds really nerdy, but I, I also like the financing side of real estate and then, and doing the numbers, figuring out the numbers, uh, uh, getting into the math. And, and so uh, it drew me back in and I started my brokerage, like I said, May of 2009. And uh, we've just been growing since. Uh, we are a mortgage broker. And, and so the advantages that gives to, you know, to your, your, your investors is that we are um, we don't represent a specific bank we we actually will learn about the investor and what their um, you know financial circumstances are uh, what some of their goals are etc uh, where they currently are in their investing life cycle and, and then we will go out and find the right product for them instead of trying to fit them into our box we're going to go find the right box for them and that usually ends up being a better product a better a better uh, better result uh, for everybody. So that's awesome. And tell us a little bit about like your personal investment experience too, because I know you've got you've got a, a portfolio yourself. Yeah. When did you start investing, and um, was that like when you got into the mortgage industry? Or yeah. good question. So uh, I I bought my first investment home at the perfect time in uh, late two thousand and seven. Oh. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I made a wise decision there. I said, everybody else, I was helping lots of real estate investors uh, buy. And, uh, and I thought, well, everybody else is doing it. I might as well do it. And so I went and bought and, uh, and I still own that home. I'm about to sell it because of the equity position. I bought it for $340,000, Devin. I was renting it for about 1800 bucks a month. Um, at the time, you know, so it wasn't great numbers. I didn't know, you know, 1% rule and some of those other things, you know, and uh, at, uh, we went to refinance it in November of 2011 and it appraised for 220,000. So I bought it for 340. Ouch. It, yeah, it appraised for 220. 
Uh, and like a lot of people, I was way upside down. And the amazing, amazing, amazing thing about real estate is it tends to bounce back. I will probably sell that home for around six fifty now. Whoa! So, yeah. So fourteen years later, uh, I'll almost have doubled the purchase price. Um, and uh, you know, and so and with a massive drop you know, just a couple of years into owning that home. So that's one of the blessings of real estate. Uh, one of the amazing benefits is if you can buy a cash flowing property like WealthCap is going to help us invest in, you know, we buy the right properties uh, and we hold it long term. I've heard the saying that uh, real estate, you know, buying buying real estate is like, uh, you know, can be like a bad haircut. If you hold on to it long enough, it'll always get better, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, so, uh, you know, so I that that was, that I'm about to sell that property. I own it free and clear now, and I'll sell that property 650,000 roughly. Um, and then I'll put that into something much better, uh, like what you guys sell, uh, you know, turnkey properties, uh, most likely is where I'm gonna invest. So uh, since then I have, um, I bought, I, the building I'm sitting in right now, I own this commercial building. I have a vacation rental in Kauai, Hawaii that uh, nice. we love to use. Yeah, it's awesome. I highly recommend that. It's a great model. It's not as passive, it requires a little more work on our part, but there's a nice return. Uh, I've got, I, I might be off on this, but it's like 14 or 15 turnkey properties out there in Missouri. Uh, now, single family, you know, three bed, two bath, four bed, two bath, you know, pretty typical and uh, love, love, love those. And then I own several apartment complexes as well, uh, several. I own two apartment complexes uh, for a total of, I'm a little over 250 doors now. So that's amazing. Yeah. So I, I've, uh, you know, my hand in commercial vacation rentals, single family apartment complexes. I've done some syndication. I've done hard money, you know, and so I, I have a lot of experience in a lot of areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, that's, I mean, that's a substantial portfolio. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, and super, also, it tells me a lot that like you are still running your mortgage brokerage yep. out of passion because yep. with a portfolio that size, you probably don't need to. Um, and I think that's super cool that you, you know, you love this stuff. I love this stuff. I could nerd out on this stuff all day long. So what I want to hear from you next is like, take us on a deep dive of the different kinds of financing available for investors and like what kinds of loans are the best fit in different cases. And I'm going to let you just like take us away and I'll jump in there when, when I have questions. Sure. And if okay. anybody watching has questions, um, just comment on the video and I'll ask Peter those as well. Please. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I think the, you know, we, we, uh, from a buy and hold perspective, the absolute best financing, in my opinion, is your typical Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac conventional loan. Yes, and amen. And, <laughs> and, and, and it is a phenomenal product. I've got, you know, a lot of those loans. Here's the, the, the benefits to a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac is that you are, uh, you're going to get the best interest rates. You're typically locked for 30 years. Uh, you're going to improve your cash flow. Uh, you know, uh, 
the, the opportunity to generate cash on cash is going to be among the best. Now, the downside to Fannie Freddie is that it's usually a full doc loan, meaning that you're providing your full financial history, tax returns, W-2s, pay stubs. Uh, the, the other downside to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac is they limit us to how many properties we can finance. 10 properties uh, is, pretty, is the guideline. Some banks will limit you um, uh, to less than 10 with them specifically, but Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac limit us to 10 properties. Um, some, you know, there's some really cool kind of Jedi tricks there that uh, we would love to go through and we can spend some time on that maybe here's a part of this podcast or anybody can reach out to me at any time. Um, you know, my wife, so I bought my 10 and now we're financing properties in my wife's name uh, mm-hmm. and we're hoping to fill her 10. And so I think most of your, uh, most of the audience here, most of your investors are pretty savvy and they probably know this, but the idea is, is that you want to have 10 loans. You can have 10 loans per borrower, but if my wife and I are co-signers on a loan, well, it counts as one for her and one for me, even though it's one property. And right. so you limit your ability to buy, use those Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac golden tickets. So, you know, we, we, we like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac so much that I'm going to go out and get 10 Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans for myself. And I'm doing the financing solely in my name. Now, ownership does not equal, fi- you know, financing does not equal ownership. Um, so the financing's in my name. Then we put it in later into an LLC uh, that my wife and I own. And, and that allows uh, her to have some protections as well for ownership, something were to happen to me. And, and then now I, I max my 10 out and then we want to create an opportunity for her to get her 10 properties. There's some really cool tricks there that maybe I'll come back to. Okay. Uh, benefit of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Another benefit is that uh, most people don't know this. I think I might, uh, this might blow a few people's minds and, uh, and, uh, most people don't realize this, but you can actually do a 15% down on a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loan for a single family. Most people are putting 20% down. I help a lot of investors and most of them do 20%. Why do they do that? One, they, they do it because they don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, they're afraid of mortgage insurance. Right. Uh, you know, three, they're afraid of the interest rate. So I did some math kind of in preparation for this, Devin, and, uh, and I'll hope uh, I love okay. it. Yeah, show show a little bit to you here. So uh, if you did, if you were to buy a single family investment property uh, for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, as an example, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. If you're to do fifteen percent down, uh, you would be looking at twenty two thousand five hundred dollars versus twenty percent down. You're thirty grand, right? Mm-hmm. So at 15% down, today's interest rates, assuming good credit, assuming, you know, I'm making some assumptions there, uh, you're looking at a 3.5% interest rate, you might pay some, you're going to pay probably a little bit by way of points there to get that 3.5% interest rate on a 30-year fixed, Devin, that's phenomenal, 3.5%. Your principal and interest payment is going to be $573. And you will have mortgage insurance. I price that out. You're looking at about $56. So $573 plus $56, that put me at $629, principal interest and mortgage insurance. You'll add tax and insurance on top of that. Mm -hmm. 
Compare that to a 20% down. So you're out of pocket now at closing another 7,500 bucks. Now that is your money. You're just moving it from your savings account to your equity savings account, right? So it's, it is your money, but ultimately it makes it a lot harder to use. You cannot use that money to go out and invest in your next property, whatever yeah. it might be. So at $30,000 down, you're looking at a 3.25 compared to the three and a half. So there's about a quarter percent interest rate difference. Uh, you're not going to have mortgage insurance. Your principal and interest payment on that would be $522. So there is a $107 difference, but you get to keep in your pocket $7,500. That's going to take you at $107 a month. It's going to take you about 70 months or almost six years to recoup that $7,500 that you put into that property at $107 a month savings. Uh, so if you think you'll keep them, well, and that's assuming you have mortgage insurance the whole time, you know, I actually ran it, I, you know, you'd get rid of your mortgage insurance, in probably one to two years right in there, um, mm -hmm. depending on some appreciation and some other factors, you get rid of mortgage insurance a lot quicker. Now that break evens a lot sooner. And then the other thing that it doesn't uh, take, take into consideration is you, if you could get that $7,500 working for you in the next property. Yeah. You're going to get cash flow from that. And so the reality is, is that a 15% down, it may benefit you almost day one, if not year one. Yeah. To do a 15% down. And I guarantee that the vast majority of your investors, your, you know, those that are buying turnkey properties from WealthCap are not putting 15% down, they're putting 20% down or more. So. Yeah, most of them, most of them are putting 20% down. Um, and actually, like, I didn't, I didn't know that there yeah. were that many banks out there that would let you do 15% on investment property. We do have some investors too. like, I'm thinking of one guy in particular, he's bought a lot from us, he insists on doing 25% down. Yeah. Um, he likes having a certain amount of cash flow, and we always run the numbers. And he's liquid enough that he, you know, that's the method that he wants to do because he wants a lower principal balance anyway. Sure. Um, but I love that you did the math on it. That's something that I do every day with our clients. And I love doing when yeah. people ask those questions, like, what should I do? It's the answer is let's run the numbers on it. That's you right. know? Um, uh, Cause 50 bucks in mortgage insurance even if you did have that for three or four years, if you're able to raise the rent, yep. then it, it makes up for that, you know, for that monthly expense of that little bit of, uh, of mortgage insurance. I bought my first property with 15% down. Um, I didn't have awesome. to pay mortgage insurance, but I did have a five-year arm. So, oh, yeah. okay. so it wasn't a 30 year fixed. Yeah. Um, but I think that's absolutely amazing to know that that you can do that. And sorry to interrupt. I'm going to let you. No, no that you know, I, I appreciate that very much. And 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 the reality is, is that uh, the you know we we talk a lot about ROI in investing in real estate, but there is the other side of that is ROA. And so if you if you have somebody who just feels like, man, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to worry about whether or not mortgage insurance is dropping off, or I need a certain amount of cash flow on a monthly basis and I feel like 25% down is better, great. But let's make sure that, you know, the, the thing that I'm most passionate about is let's make sure that we're making educated decisions. 
The reality is, is that I ran cash flow numbers on this 15% versus 20% down. I get better cash on cash returns at 15% down than I do at 20% down after about year one. So right out of the gate, it, it makes more sense to do 20%. But the reality is, is that that, uh, that 15% is the better option probably in most cases. The other way you can think about it, Devin, uh, you know, and I, I joke with some of my clients is that, you know, it's kind of a buy, buy four, get one free type uh, scenario. You know, if you, yeah. if you can buy four properties at 15% down, well, you've saved 5% for each of those properties. Well, that, you know, that 5% adds up now to potentially 20% for your fourth or your fifth, excuse me, property. Now you have not only the 15% down, but you have another 5% to cover any closing costs, prepaids or otherwise. And so as a result of that, you buy four, you can get that fifth one at no additional cost out of pocket by doing 15% down. And so if you're buying the right properties with great cash flow, you know, and some of the cash on cash returns that you, your investor is going to be looking for, uh, I, I frankly, I feel like it makes more sense nine times out of 10 Again, there's ROA, return on attention. It may be a better thing for you emotionally to put the 25% down or, or 20% yeah. down. But, but mathematically, ROI, uh, I bet you nine times out of 10 and, and probably closer to 10 times out of 10, 15% down is going to be a better fit. I, I totally agree with you. And um, something that I like to do the numbers with on some investors too with sometimes looking at their options when they're trying to decide, should I buy down my rate mm -hmm. is doing that very similar math. How many months will it take to make up the difference? And does it make sense to buy down the rate just yeah. depending on, on what their options are. So I'd love to hear your, your oh, thoughts on that. I love this. Thank you, Devin. Uh, yeah. I, I could not agree more. You have to know the math. Let's make educated decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, and so uh, in my experience lately, there has been, a widening of the floor and ceiling on, on investment properties. Uh, what I mean by that is there's yield behind each and every interest rate. There is a yield. There's a, there's a credit from the lender to help us cover costs. And that, that yield is spreading out. So as an example, on a primary residence, when I buy a primary residence, you, you know, uh, or when I help a client buy a primary residence, usually you have an interest rate of like 275 uh, for a low rate option, cost you a point or a point and a half, and you have a three and a quarter for a no cost option, you know, and that, and that the difference in rate is like a half a percent and it's so small, you're going to, you know, you're going to, it's going to take you nine or 10 or 12 years to recover the cost of paying points. And so I'm not a big fan of points on a primary residence. I'm not a big fan of points on a second home either, typically, unless mm -hmm. you know you're going to keep that mortgage uh, intact for at least, you know, to the break even point, nine, 10, 12 years, then it might make sense. But, but most of the time, you know, the average is national average is less than seven years. In fact, it's in, in first time homebuyers case, it's about five years that yeah. you're going to keep your mortgage. So on an investment property, however, that fit, you know, that gap between the low rate option and the no cost option is much bigger. And so you're looking at closer to like a point or one and a half percent. You know, you might get a, a three and a quarter interest rate on a low cost or a low rate option. And you're going to be looking at like a four, seven, five or something like that to do close to no cost. 
the mm -hmm. break even point as a result what happens is the the cost difference is is not as big but the monthly payment difference is huge and so when you divide that number of what does it cost by what is the monthly uh payment difference uh the break even point is like two and a half to four and a half years on an investment property and i don't know about your your you know uh your friends on this podcast, but I know for me, I'm a buy and hold guy. Yeah. I've learned my lesson with my first investment property, you buy and hold. And as a result of that, uh, and I believe interest rates are, if not the lowest they're ever going to be, they're among the lowest they're ever going to be. They just, there's just not a ton more room. And so I'm buying and I am encouraging my investors to buy and pay points because I know it's going to benefit me. It might take me three years to recoup the cost, right. but I'm going to have this mortgage, this home, this investment for at least three years, the financing on this for three years. And so it just is, to me, uh, makes total sense to do that. But again, uh, what we do, what we love to do, Devin, is we like to give uh, all of our investors, we like to give them a low rate option. Hey, pay points. Here's what it looks like. Here's what your closing costs are. Here's maybe a, then we like to try to do something in the middle where there's maybe no points. It's just title and appraisal and, you know, third-party fees. And then we'll usually do something closer to a no cost option, but the contrast is pretty stark nowadays. And so, you know, again, we're the vast majority of the stuff we're doing is where our client, our investors are paying a little bit by way of points to buy down that rate. Now it's not always been that way, but that is what the market bears right now. And so that's what I'm recommending right now. I love that. And I love that you are doing the math with the clients because that's, that's the most important. That's, that's right. absolutely the most important piece is to look at the numbers and look at ROI. And I love that you call it ROA, return yeah. on attention, because that's really important for some folks too. Um, awesome. Yeah. Okay. So keep going. We were yeah. talking about why we love Fannie Freddie. And yeah. I totally agree. I tell all new investors, like, do what you want. But if it were me, I would first start by maxing out my 10 Fannie yep. Freddie loans. Um, yeah. You're giving great advice. And so, okay, we've maxed out 10 or maybe we're self-employed or, you know, or there's some other hiccup, you know, what are, what are our options? You know, we've maxed out Fannie Freddie, we've got some hiccup, whatever it might be. So we have some really cool other options. Um, there is what's called non-QM, Devin, uh, QM stands for Qualified Mortgage. Qualified Mortgage fits under the, the Dodd-Frank Act. It may, basically, there's some parameters that the government, the act set in place in order for it to be a, a conventional uh, a qualified mortgage. Has to be can't be any longer than a 30-year term. Uh, it can't have prepayment penalties. You know, it, it checks some boxes. These are lessons that we learned from 2008 and 2009 when things melted down. And so that is Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. They are QM loans. Uh, there is a non-QM that kind of filled the, some void for those people that uh, maybe high net worth, but uh, don't show, you know, don't show a ton of uh, income on their taxes. Maybe yep. they've maxed out their Fannie Freddie or whatever it might be. Might be. So that non-QM option, uh, we 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 refer to it as asset-based lending. And depending on the QM, the non-QM lender, they might have different uh, pet names for it, but it's asset-based lending. And basically it is based on credit score, 
assets. They look at assets because they want to know what your reserves are. They're typically looking for about a six-month PITI reserve for every investment property you have. So they're going to look at reserves and then they're going to look for down payments. So that's why they're looking at assets. And then the final thing they're going to look at is the lease. Uh, the, what, what is the projected rents or what is the rents, uh, the rent or lease agreement in place? What are those rents? And that's what they're looking at. Do you have good, good enough credit? Do you have assets? And do you have a lease? And does that lease cover the mortgage payment? That's the, the proposed mortgage payment. And as long as that's the case, uh, you should be able to get financing on this. Uh, you're looking at, I ran some numbers. So again, on a 20% down Fannie Freddie, you're at about three and a quarter. As opposed mm -hmm. to non-QM, you're going to be closer to about a four and a half. But are you kidding me? Four and a half percent interest rate historically is phenomenal. When I started my company 12 years ago, I was selling my friends and family on their primary residence at a five and a half or a five and a quarter. You know, I mean, you know, we're, I mean, we're talking a four and a half percent for a 30 year fix. Um, and, and all you're doing is asset-based borrowing. You're, you're showing them that the asset can support the monthly payment and you have yeah. some reserves just in case a tenant leaves in the middle of the night, you know? So yeah. uh, it, it is awesome. A couple of things, the, the benefits are that it is asset-based. You can go up and over 10 properties, you know, so that's your 11th, 12th, 13th and, and so on investment properties. Uh, the interest rates are still phenomenal. You're still 30 year fixed. The negatives are there is a prepayment penalty. You can buy yourself out of that prepayment penalty. But again, I think you're going to keep the loan in place probably for a good amount of time. Uh, I, I, you know, it's a three year usually prepayment penalty. And so I would keep that in place and wouldn't be worried about it. Uh, the other thing that, um, that you want to be aware of, the interest rates are a little bit higher. And the other thing to be aware of is that the underwriting can be a little bit more uh, disjointed. Fannie and Freddie have done a really good job of saying, here's the guidelines, this is what we do. Uh, you know, and, and all these lenders now have been selling Fannie and Freddie loans for years. And so as a result, you know, they have a fairly, you know, pretty clearly defined process. This non-QM's still considerably um, new, uh, uh, even though it's been around for three, four, five years now, in a lot of cases, it's still fairly new. And so some of the uh, underwriting is a little disjointed, um, you know, so turn times might be a little slower on that or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, all in all, we get them done all the time. Uh, the other thing to be aware of, I don't know if it's a negative, but might be a negative is that uh, most of the non-QM lenders, I haven't found a non-QM lender that'll lend us less than $75,000. So meaning that you're buying something for, you know, 100,000 and you're putting 20% down, you know, you're at 80, eight, excuse me, 800,000. $80,000, buying a mm -hmm. hundred, you're putting 20% down, you're at 80 grand, you're okay. But if you buy anything under a hundred thousand, you might start to run into issues there. So just be aware of that. Um, most of them want to be about a hundred thousand dollars or more uh, on these asset-based lendings uh, as far as loan amounts. So you wanting to buy something in the uh, $130,000 range typically uh, on the, uh, to use these. So um, yeah, I like non-QM. It's a great option. I'm not there yet, but I will have no hesitation using non-QM. I got a couple. Uh, do you? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, well, when sometimes one of the downfalls with the Fannie Freddie is if your DTI is maxed out and yeah. 
nobody's going to give you any money. Um, that's, you know, that's Definitely. the next stop. And they yep. totally work. And like one of mine, I think I have a rate of, it's almost six, yeah. but the numbers still work and I don't care. And, and I'm going to hold it for a long, yeah. a long period of time. So it's cash flowing and I don't care that the interest is 6% because I was able to do the loan, get the house, it's cash flowing, it's rented, and I'm super happy to have it in my portfolio. And then another one, um, the second QM loan, like on one of them, I bought the rate down and on one of them, I didn't because I did the math on how long it was going to take thinking about, you know, how often am I likely going to be able to raise the rent, blah, blah, blah. And on one, it, the math made more sense to buy down the rate than the other. Yep. You know? Got a girl. That's amazing. That's awesome. Good for you. And that absolutely right. Do the math, know what your numbers are, you know, and, and somebody else's numbers as to what is the right investment for them are going to be different than mine. Yeah. You know, I have a certain threshold that I want, but that threshold might be different than what Devin, your threshold is or what, you know, uh, any other investor's threshold is right now, my thresholds come down. I'm, I am a, I am so, you know, bullish on the real estate right now. I just, I feel like what we're going to run into is an affordability issue uh, yeah. with, you know, with labor costs going up, with uh, material costs going up, with everything going up and up and up, rents are not keeping up. Mm -hmm. And so I believe the government's going to come in and have to subsidize. They're going to step in and try to fix this. And I think that's going to be phenomenal for investors because now we're going to have governments, you know, it's almost going to be like, you know, you know, class, you know, uh, what are the section eight housing? That's what I'm looking for. Section eight housing is going to be almost like that. I think they're going to have to expand that program or provide some sort of additional benefits. And they're going to, and they're, and we're going to be, you know, in the United States, we push home ownership and I'm a big fan of home ownership and I love to help people get mortgages. I love assisting, but, but ultimately we are unique in the world. Most big countries uh, are more renters than they are owners. And I think mm -hmm. we might be starting to head a little bit in that direction unless there's some changes. And, and so as a result of that, I, I as an investor want to buy a lot of real estate because I think there's going to be a lot of it, a lot of renters in the market. And I believe that the government's going to help subsidize some of that some way, some program, somehow here in the future. And so I'm big, big, big on real estate right now, buying as much real estate as I can. And I can buy it for cheap. I mean, you think about yeah. it, inflation has gone from, you know, around 2%, we're probably up close to about four or five. And, and I don't know if it's going to be less than that for a little while. If I can borrow money at three and inflation is at four, you know, in theory, the idea there is the bank's almost paying me. To yeah, own it's arbitrage. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Some of, you know, I, I asked a question in our Facebook group a few months ago, like, where do you think we're going to, where do you think we're going to land in terms of inflation? Uh, and it was really interesting to get everybody's feedback and input and looking at just a couple of different articles. I think right now it's around 4.9, according yeah. to, um, you know, that's like the official number, yeah. but based on a lot of what I'm reading for projections, a lot of people are anticipating like seven is, could be a more realistic number, which is crazy. Yeah. You know, that's, that's double. It is scary. Yeah. It is scary. So if you're, you know, if you're able to borrow money anywhere between three and five yep. and inflation is seven, then 
the bank has paid you 2% to take their money. That's you right. know, like that's brilliant arbitrage right there. Right. And, um, and you're hedging too. I mean, by buying real estate, you're getting your money locked in at that at, at the cost of the dollar at that moment in time. And so, exactly. so there's a hedge as well. You know, Robert Kiyosaki teaches that, you know, savers are losers. And this is exactly what he's talking about. Anytime that dollar is sitting in your savings account, it's losing its value. But if you can go put that dollar to work in real estate uh, is where I recommend you go put it to work in real estate. Well, now you got appreciation, you got depreciation, you got principal pay down because your tenants are paying your, your mortgage. Uh, you've got that hedge, you're using leverage. I mean, it's just uh, you know, it, it, it's a phenomenal uh, asset, real estate. And so uh, you're hedging and you're, it's arbitrage, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that you talked about affordability too, because like we, we rehab a ton of houses every month yeah. and we noticed that, of course, yeah. you know, yeah. the cost of materials going way up. Um, shipping has gotten more expensive and it's taking longer. So some projects Maybe, you know, the cost of materials has gone up some, but due to the lag in shipping time, like it's costing more money because you're holding longer, you know, like everything is getting, is getting more expensive. There are some markets where, you know, rents are increasing faster than others. Charlotte is one, that's one of our markets and the rental increase in the Charlotte market right now is about 5% for the whole like greater metro area, which is more aggressive than what most of the nation is seeing, yeah, but it's yeah. still not keeping up with the appreciation in that market, which yes. is around 12%, you know? So that, that game um, is going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, watch. Yeah. And I share with, you know, all of our clients when they get on the phone with me, or sometimes they'll ask, it's a common question should I buy a primary or an investment property first? And that's one of those that like, I can't, I can't say for sure, but I, I share with people my personal situation and my own thoughts. Um, I live in Nashville, which is a very expensive place to buy. Um, specifically Franklin where the average price point is like 550 K not a cheap town. And, um, I'm a high maintenance princess. So <laughs> I, <clears throat> I am currently renting a house because doing the math on how much cash I would have to invest if I wanted to buy that property, you know, yep. the amount I would need to put down 15 or 20% either way. Uh, Cause I would not be willing to pay quite that much in PMI on a, yep. on a larger purchase yep. doing the math on it. I could take that amount of capital, like 150 to 200 K I could put it in a down payment to buy a house around here, or that would buy me five single family homes that would cash flow. You know, if each house is cash flowing $400 a month, that's $2,000 a month that I can use that to arbitrage what I'm paying in rent, which right now makes a whole lot more mathematical sense to me, but I'm also, you know, I'm a single woman. I don't have any kids. So when somebody's if you're like young and married and starting a family and your spouse is saying, we need to buy a house, like you can't really do math <laughs> in my opinion That's on right. yeah. that. Cause you're going to get in trouble when you go home. That's right. um, but I've noticed we have a lot of investors in our group that are, they're young entrepreneurs and they choose to rent where they like to live and yeah. they're investing their dollars where the math makes the most sense. 
So I, you know. I, I love this and, and you're absolutely right. There's an ROA factor, right? Return on attention or maybe it's ROE, return on emotion. You know, you got to check in with yourself. You know, um, I, I'm married to a wonderful, beautiful princess and uh, the princess needs her castle, you know, and she needs a place to nest. And, uh, and that's an important thing for us. And so even though um, perhaps I could get those dollars working for me, uh, in a more ROI, you know, better ROI situation, uh, you know, I, I, I want to have a place for her that she feels, you know, is home. And so, you know, her situation, our situation is a little different than yours. And so it really is, it's different strokes for different folks, right? So uh, here's what I think uh, is going to be an interesting development, uh, Devin, over the next few years. I'm starting to see this. I've been doing it for 10 years now. I own a home in Hawaii. I have for the last 10 years, I will go out to Hawaii and work from Hawaii for two to three, uh, two to two months. The longest we've done is like nine or 10 weeks. Um, you know, so we will go out to Hawaii from anywhere from a month to two plus months and I'll work from there. Mm. And, and uh, COVID has, uh, I think, awoken a lot of people to this possibility. We are seeing more and more people wanting to stay in our Hawaii condo for a month at a time, two months yeah. at a time. We've got a gentleman in there. He's not paying. I mean, it's not a, a little amount. He's paying to be there for four months. Wow. And so he's staying in our place for four months. But then he, when he's done, you know, he washes his hands of it. He doesn't have property tax to worry about, HOAs to worry about, maintenance, upkeep to worry about. You know, he goes to the next... I, I think that, um, you know, something, uh, you know, your, your investors you might consider is you buy a place where you would like to vacation on a regular basis. You own that home as your primary residence or as a second home. Uh, as a second home, you only have to occupy it for two weeks out of the year. You buy it for as a second home. You get phenomenal uh, financing. You only have to do 10% down. And then you vacation rent it for the rest of the time. And so yeah. now you have... Uh, invested and Hawaii has been wonderful for me. I have uh, my cash on cash on Hawaii has been almost a hundred percent. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It is phenomenal, but it's not because I make good money on it as a, as a vacation rental, but I make even better money on an appreciation. Mm. So I suspect that Franklin, uh, you know, Tennessee might be a similar situation where you're seeing those values climb because it's such a desirable location. So maybe you buy something and, People love to come to Nashville. I've been to Nashville a few times. It's a fun, cool place. It's a it's yeah. a, a neat vibe. And so I'd love to vacation rent a place. And so maybe you have a place that you live for a couple months out of the year, and then you vacation rent it, and uh, you know for the rest of the year, and you go to your next uh, home that you vacation rent. I think that's going to be a trend where people are going to want to you know uh, live in certain areas for three, four months at a time, and they're just going to move, and they may not ever own a home. Truly, and they'll just keep, you know, they'll work from anywhere and and move around. And so we as uh, investors see those opportunities and can pro provide something, you know, value. Well, let's provide them a great place in mm -hmm. a really cool town, you know, and and all the amenities that they might be looking for, and spoil them a little bit. Uh, anyway, just a thought, and I, you know, that's Peter's opinion of whether or not I'm right. I don't know, but I, there's a, a trend in that direction right now. I feel. No, I like it. I think it's great. And um, I think I could nerd out with you like for a really yeah. long time. Yes. <laughs> We're probably going to be doing some more of these. Um, Good. I hope but so. A, 
Yeah, a couple a couple things I wanted to ask you um, about the non-QM asset-based loans. Um, some other benefits that investors can find with those, if they so choose, is being able to take the title and the debt in the name of an entity. Mm -hmm. um, can you just share a little bit like your thoughts on, on, on that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the appeal to having it in an entity name is that um, the debt, the debt load, as well as the um, liability and other things reside in a limited liability company. So it's protecting you, it's adding that barrier um, for you. And, and that is absolutely a, a, a must in my opinion. I'm not, a, I'm not an, an attorney, I'm not a CPA, go consult your attorney. Yep. CPA disclaimer. The, yeah, disclaimer, <laughs> right? All the fine print there. Uh, but ultimately, I move all of my properties into an LLC. The reality is, is that asset-based non-QM lending uh, is already not going to show on your, uh, well, it's going to show on your credit, but it's not going to, you can move it into your LLC very, very quickly. And so it shouldn't show on your liabilities personally. You should be able to run it right through your business and operate it through the business without, um, without any sort of issue uh, of protecting you and giving you all those securities. The problem that you're alluding to is a debt to income ratio. But at this point, you've probably maxed your Fannie Freddies out. Maybe you don't need that debt to income. You're not worried about it anymore because it's only Fannie Freddie that have kind of set those arbitrary numbers up. And so as a result of that, um, I have found that most of my investors are using non-QM through their personal, just because it's a little simpler, but we mm -hmm. can put it through an LLC. Uh, the other thing you can do that is along the lines of non-QM is commercial financing. Commercial financing is also a tremendous option. You can do blanket loans and commercial where if maybe you have 10 properties, you can bring all 10 of those and some of them might be in Memphis, some of them in Nashville, some of them in St. Louis, you know, but they're like assets. You can bring those all together and put them into one commercial loan. That commercial loans then off of your credit. It's not showing on your personal credit. Frees you up to have ten more Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans. Uh, yeah. The benefit to that is that it does free you up to go and get a little more aggressive. The downside is usually those commercial loans are going to be some sort of arm. Uh, you know, they're a variable rate. They're going to be a five-year. Oftentimes, they're a balloon uh, payment. Oftentimes, they're amortized only over 25 years. So the cash on cash becomes, um, the cash flow is, is reduced by moving it to commercial. Again, uh, very, very bullish on buying real estate. I think you should. Commercial financing is awesome because, again, it's asset-based lending. It's a lot like the non-QM in that regard. Uh, but, you know, there's some terms you want to just run your numbers, know what your numbers are, feel comfortable with those numbers uh, as you pursue or look into those options. So uh, am I answering your question there? A little, yeah, there? yeah. I just wanted to share, you know, with everybody a little, some of the pros and cons yes. um, along those lines. And, you know, I am a fan of the asset-based lending uh, blanket loans or some lenders call them portfolio loans. Yep, yep. Where... Yep. You know, if you want to free yourself up to do Fannie Freddie again, let's say, you know, you've been holding a handful of properties for 10 years, they've got a considerable amount of equity. That, in my opinion, would be a great time to refi into a portfolio or blanket loan um, where maybe you're not leveraged quite as heavily. Yep. But 
you know, they have their opportunities. <laughs> yes. And you'd have your cash flow and you don't need, you know, 25 year term, you know, or amortization, excuse me, with a five or 10 year term is not going to be a big issue to you. So yeah. uh, commercial lending has a massive place in investing. Um, it is kind of the, you know, uh, it, it's kind of the second step, you know, in, in my experience, typically, you know, you usually Fannie Freddie right out of the gate. Then you look at some of the non-QM, maybe commercial lending is kind of a second step, second option uh, once you've exhausted Fannie Friday. So, yeah. I agree a thousand percent. So let the yeah. record show. <laughs> no, I tell people, I tell people that all the time. Start with their Fannie Freddie and then go on to the commercial or asset-based lending. Um, so thank you for backing me up, everybody that's listening, who's been listening to me uh, talk for <laughs> a year and a half about. <laughs> And I'm also just like super, super stoked to like have gotten to nerd out with you for an hour on yeah. real estate math. Like right? <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. It Me is. too. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I may have met my new best friend. All right. <laughs> guys in this studio or like whatever. Um, anyway, <laughs> giving me weird looks like this girl is bizarre. Um, but I've, I've taken up an hour of your time and I am so grateful. Peter, you have been amazing. I loved everything that you shared today. We're definitely going to have you on the podcast again, because there is so much real estate math that I think we can share with people yes. uh, just to educate them, you know, whether they're going to choose to invest in WealthCap or if they go elsewhere, like learn how to do the math so you don't make dumb mistakes. Um, and for anybody that's listening that needs help with a loan for a primary second home investment property or anything, Peter, what is the best way to get a hold of you and your group of loan officers? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thank you for the time. And yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to do this. We got some do's and don'ts and I got a few other things that I'd love to throw out there. We got some ninja moves, so we need to do this again. So thank you, Devin. Uh, best place is you can go to innovative rates. Dot com. So innovative, R-A-T-E-S.com. And you can uh, just communicate with us right through our website. You can actually look at in interest rates. Um, you know, uh, we are a broker and so we have to be licensed in every market. And so we might not be licensed in your market. Having said that, uh, we are in 17, 18 states. I think we're in every market that you're in. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, I want to be a resource this, I'm passionate about it. I love it. I've learned lots and lots of lessons, mostly because I've made lots and lots of mistakes. Same. Um, I, I, would, I would welcome, if you're buying in New York and I'm not yet in New York, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'd love to be a resource. The phone number for me, you, here's my cell phone, 801-664-1079, 801-664-1079. Reach out to me, text me, call me, um, and I'd love to be a resource to you and see if we can help you. So awesome. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much, Peter. And of course, anybody that's, if you're watching live or if you're listening to the podcast later and you uh, want to find out a little bit about investing in turnkey, see if that might make sense for you. I am easy to find. Wealthcapholdings.com backslash waitlist will take you to my calendar. And if you are not yet in our real estate portfolio builders, Facebook group, please join. We have tons of education resources, content in there for you that will help you along the way. So thanks again so much, Peter. I have really enjoyed this hour with you and I can't wait to do it again. 
My pleasure. I look forward to it. Thanks, okay. Devin. Okay. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience, in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started, by visiting wealthcapholdings.com slash book. That's wealthcapholdings.com slash book.